THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Hi, this is Princess Ashley Victoria Robinson, the head editor at Top Cow, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you back to THN, episode one. What? That's right. We started over. It's the all new, all different, copyright infringement free, two headed nerd comic book podcast. Sort of new, kind of different. <laughs> my name's Matt Baum. You can follow me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And I have been hosting this show with a man across from me for six damn years. What is your name again, sir? I'm Joe Patrick. That's right. Yep. And you can find me at Joe Patrick116 on Twitter. And I've been dealing with Matt's BS for more than six damn years. It's true. You can follow the show at Twitter Nerd on the aforementioned damn Twitter. That's right. In this week's episode, we're going to share our in-depth reviews of Bullseye, number one, and Blood Blister, number one. One was really good, and one was really bad. <laughs> we'll let you guess which is which. <laughs> After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round, faster than NBC can completely rewrite their next superhero-themed show. Then, we're playing Ask a Nerd when we sit down with our old friend, Princess oh. Ashley Victoria Robinson, to talk about her upcoming comic book project. After that, that's right, there's a whole nother segment. It's time for Nerd TV, where Joe and I are reviewing NBC's superhero comedy, Powerless. Yep, it's time for superhero comedy. That's where we're at as a society. (laughs) It's all happening on the all-new, all-different, rebooted, two-headed nerd. But before we start grinding this sausage, we got to stop and talk about this week's Big News! I got bad news, Matt. Bad news? Already? It's episode one. I know. Well, (laughs) while he'll still write and star in the film, it looks like your man, Ben Affleck, will not be directing the Batman solo movie. Batfleck, no! (laughs) Affleck released the following statement confirming his departure as director, quote, There are certain characters who hold a special place in the hearts of millions. Performing this role demands focus, passion, and the very best performance I can give. It has become clear that I cannot do both jobs to the level they require. Together with the studio, I have decided to find a partner and a director who collaborate with me on this massive film. Yada, yada, yada. Et cetera, et cetera. Blah, blah, blah. If this thing bombs as bad sure. as Superman versus Batman. The Batman is expected to hit theaters in 2018, but that seems less and less likely with each passing moment. There's no way. I know. There is no way. But all is not lost, according to Forbes, your source for comics journalism, who reports that Warner Brothers has a short list of directors to replace Affleck, and it might have as few as five names. Okay, I'm going to give betting. I'm going to give betting options on this one, too. So you name them off, and then I'll give you the odds. Okay. First up, Matt Reeves. You may know him from movies like Cloverfield, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes. I'm saying two to one. Two to one. Two that to one. seems good. Two to one. I don't know anything Those about Those are great betting, odds. Betting, yeah. but George Miller from the Mad Max series. Most recently, Mad Max Fury Road. 50 to one. 50 to one. Yikes. No way. He's my favorite. We'll see. Matt Ross, who directed Captain Fantastic, which came out this year. Uh, you may know him... M- more as Gavin Belson from Silicon Valley on HBO. Ten to one on that one. Ten it's to one. weird. Like I, I had to look him up. I, I, I heard I didn't the name. Know it was and him. It's like, yeah, it's that guy. It's the guy from Silicon Valley. Right. I just figured Matt Ross was a really common name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gavin O'Connor, who directed Warrior and also The Accountant, which starred Ben Affleck. Twenty-five to one. Mm. I think that's Affleck just throwing his buddy's name around. And Dennis Villeneuve, who directed Sicario, Arrival, and the upcoming Blade Runner 2049. 30 to 1. Doubt it. I think you're just making these numbers up. I'm saying it's Matt Reeves. I'm saying it's Matt Reeves. He's got all the action stuff under his belt. He's a name that people know. He's got proven hits behind him. Oh, okay. There's George one Miller's per- just too big. There's no way. Too big? The dude made one movie in 30 years. Well, yeah, but the dude no, is No, that's also, not true. Yeah. Didn't he also make like Babe Big in the City or no, something like that? No, he did the Penguins and stuff like the singing Penguins and shit like oh, that. Oh, uh, like Madagascar? That? No, not Madagascar. The other one. Happy like Feet? Yes. Happy Feet and Happy Feet <laughs> 2. That was your George Miller. 
No, I just think Matt Reeves is, he's, I mean, look at the Cloverfield, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes. This guy, he works with sci-fi. They can probably get him cheaper than any of these other names. But George here. Miller came this close to actually making a Justice League movie. But that might be because George Miller looked at the mess that was going on at Warner Brothers and went, mm, I don't want any part of this. I don't think it was his decision to stop it. Uh, well, we don't know. But what I'm saying is this looks like more problems for the WBDC movie universe. So are you sad to lose Ben Affleck as director? I don't know. I mean, if he's going to be in the movie, I guess I would rather he focuses on his role, you know. But how hard is it to focus on the role of Batman? You talk like this, and then you whoop ass. You know, I mean, like, really. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know anything. You know what I mean? I don't know. This The whole thing just sounds like more mess and more silliness coming down the pipe from Warner Brothers. And I, I I just want these movies to be good. That's all I want. I don't want them to fail. And and you could argue that Superman versus Batman did not fail commercially, but it was a piece of crap. It yeah, was universally it's a, it's panned. A critical There's failure, people yeah. that try to apologize for it to this day. I don't get it. I thought it sucked. And this does not bode well at all. Well, I think we can both agree that not having Zack Snyder as an option is at least a step in the right direction. Quite possibly. We'll find out. All right. This is where we'll find out. Maybe it's not Snyder's fault. Stay I don't know. tuned. No, it's definitely his fault. <laughs> Superman is my greatest enemy. Superman's not a bad guy. Then I'd say that I don't currently have a bad guy. I am fighting a few different people. In other news, Valiant has announced Secret Weapons, a new series that ties the Harbinger saga, we like to call it Hardbringer, back to the elements of Valiant's 1990s continuity, quarter boxes everywhere, sighing in relief. (laughs) (laughs) The series will be written by a rival screenwriter, Eric Hesse. Eric Heiserer. Okay, sorry about that. With art by Raul Allen. Secret Weapons is going to focus on four new characters led by Livewire. Livewire is an existing volume right. character. Who were secretly activated by the Hardbringer Foundation long ago, but were hidden from the world because Toyo Harada deemed their powers to be of no use to him. The team is going to face off with Rexo, a major Valiant villain from <laughs> the 1990s, who you might not know, Exo Man of War's dog. Rexo Man of War? Rexo Man of War. <laughs> He is yet to appear in the modern rebooted continuity. Joey Valiant has been able, has done no wrong in our books. Are we excited for the return of Rexo and 1990s Valiant continuity? Well, I don't know no Rexo, but uh, I am excited about Valiant events for sure. Uh, You know, I did a bad job keeping up with the monthly grind on the normal books. Right. But I have been just absorbing the divinity comics it's so good uh divinity at, is amazing like just ravenous for those divinity issues they are so great valiant is amazing they make great comic books they really do and i will say whenever they go into these events they really do put top talent on it and they really care about them and they pay very close attention to the continuity that follows out of all these unlike dc or marvel when an event ends and we go well, what does this mean to this character and what happened to that character and what the hell did nick fury whisper to thor you know or whatever they tie this stuff up and they do a good job putting a bow on it. I think this is interesting and it is sort of a thank you to the old guys that stuck around and have tried the new Valiant stuff. Like me, I was there in the 90s. I remember this. I'm curious to see I remember this goes. seeing Secret Weapons on the stands, yeah. Heiserer is super excited about it. He had a quote saying, of all the writing I've done in my last year, my heart is most in Secret Weapons and its collections of freaks, misfits, and outcasts. I think a story of a woman who's shouldered such great burdens now trying to rescue some lost souls and form a surrogate family may be one of the most emotional stories I've put to paper. And where this story goes, oh man, buckle up! <laughs> I feel like I've seen his name on comics before. Definitely. But now he's a rival screenwriter, yeah. Eric Heiser. He is a Oscar nominated screenwriter. Which seems screenwriter. like a really huge get for Valiant, and yeah. I think it's awesome. Totally. I think this book's going to be good. Uh, I just need to, I need to, I don't know if I just need to like plunk some change down on Comicsology yeah, or you do. head to Legend and say, give me all the trades you got. Yeah, you do. But especially if nothing else, Har- Harbinger has sort of been the book that has set the skeleton for the Valiant universe. Right. And man, it is wonderful. Pick that up. But speaking of big gets, Joey. Hey, all right. Let's talk about Snagglepuss. Oh, exit stage <laughs> left. Flintstones writer Mark Russell has revealed new details about his next project from DC's Hannah Barbera line, a story that reinvents Snagglepuss as a gay Southern Gothic playwright. 
in the New York socialite scene. Snagglepuss is Truman Capote, basically. <laughs> Unbelievable. In an interview with something called High Lowbrow, a website I assume, Russell said, quote, yeah, it was not much of a stretch at all. I envision him like a tragic Tennessee Williams figure. Okay, his his was better than mine. Yeah. Huckleberry <laughs> Hound is there, and he's sort of a William Faulkner guy. Oh, my God. They're in New York in the 1950s. Marlon Brando shows up. Dorothy <laughs> Parker. These socialites of New York from that era come and go. I'm looking forward to it. That's what I'll do after the Flintstone stories. I'll go right from that into Snagglepuss, end quote. Snagglepuss's adventures in New York are going to bring him to Broadway where he'll deal with issues of his sexuality and the place of homosexuals in the repressed culture of the 1950s. Unreal. I know. Russell, who was also doing the Flintstones, unexpectedly had a huge smash hit with the Flintstones book, which is fantastic. It's, it's so good. I can't believe I'm saying I that know. out loud. <laughs> it is fantastic. And so far, they're sort of 50-50 with these Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, yes, you know, they are. 50/50. Future Quest is amazing. Flintstones is great. Scooby-Doo is unreadable. And the Wacky Raceland is already canceled, thankfully, because it was terrible. It was bad, yeah. It was terrible. This just is such a bizarre way to reinvent Snagglepuss. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense well right like here here's another quote from russell where he I can says totally see this yeah here's another quote where he says snagglepuss's sexuality is never discussed and it's obviously ignored in the cartoons because that's those were made during a time when you couldn't even acknowledge the existence of such a thing but snagglepuss was gay but it's still so obvious yes so it's natural to present it in a context where everybody knows but it's still closeted right like and, when george michael was singing about girls in the 80s sure <laughs> And dealing with the cultural scene of the 1950s, especially on Broadway, where everybody's gay or is working with someone who's gay, but nobody can talk about it and what it's like to have to try to create culture out of silence. Amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> Russell's first Snagglepuss story is going to appear in, of all places, the Suicide Squad Banana Splits Annual. Oh, come on. Which will hit shelves March 29th. Howard Porter is going to provide the art for that story. It was originally going to be Dale Eaglesham. I don't know why he's not. Uh, that story brings Snagglepuss before the House Un-American Activities Committee. Dude, I can't even imagine. This is, uh, wow. <laughs> uh, following that, we'll get a Snagglepuss series sometime in the fall. No artist has been named for that. Like you said, like ex almost exactly 50 50. Yeah. There, there have been four books. Half of them are amazing. Half of them are God awful. Right. This, this kind of feels like DC trying to ape RC Archie's revamp a little bit and picking Hanna-Barbera as the place to do it. it. And it's just, it's just so nuts that I bet this is going to work. I'm excited. When I first read the news, I thought, oh, they're going to try to do some weird thing where they reimagine Snagglepuss as like a human man. Right. But not at all. They showed the preview from the Suicide Squad book with Howard Porter art, and it is straight up fucking Snagglepuss. Yep. Sitting on a park bench in Washington, D.C. or whatever, talking to a dog. I can't wait for this. Uh, yeah, it's I I think it's going to be I wonderful. Wait for this. It sounds outstanding. And Mark Russell is the MVP, I think, of the Hanna-Barbera relaunch. I think it's safe so, to say that. Yeah, absolutely. Check this out. Oh, what a joyful day to frolic and play. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, head over to the Two-Headed Nerd Forums, the big news section, joke here. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's where you're supposed to insert a joke, but, uh, you know. Yeah. I'll let that fly. All right, great. <laughs> Every Sunday, the Huckleberry Hound and my Jabberjaw, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN Forums. Joey Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? The question of the week comes from Crawdad Cody, who writes, quote, Looking at Marvel's most recent solicits, I saw almost every title is stuck in tie-in hell. What's your stance on tie-ins? Do they work? Do you enjoy them? Do they make you want to rip your hair out? Now, Cody sent this question in before we went on hiatus when Marvel was nostril deep in Civil War 2 tie-ins. But this question is evergreen. 
It's a concern with every single event series that the big two turn out every single year. You're reading Amazing Spider-Man, you're reading the Flintstones, yep. you're reading friggin' Rocket Raccoon, and all of a sudden, you've got a four-month chunk of books tying into a story you're not even bothering to read. And typically, not even written by the same creative team. I don't know. Yeah. So we want to know, what is your stance on event tie-ins in your regular comics? So there's two kinds of tie-ins. Right. There's the tie-ins that uh, interrupt the flow of your normal comic. Sure. Uh, and then there's also like the standalone tie-ins like Secret Invasion, colon, Runaways. Right. You know, where it's like a separate miniseries. The question of the week is back. The answer of the week is back. And as always, you have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, February 10th, to get us your answer. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, February 10th, to get us your answer. Or... To talk about anything from this episode, this week's comics, TV show you saw, movie you saw, news item you read, you can call the Ziggurat hotline at 402-819-4894, leave a message there, or if you've got an idea for a Captain Caveman script you're just dying to share, you can email it to us along with your mp3 to 2 at gmail.com. You've got two minutes, same as always, and that deadline is more important than ever because... Yes. The answer of the week is now THN cover to cover. Yes. Call-in show. It's awesome. We discuss everything from the previous week's show, whatever's going on in the news that week. It's your guys' show. THN cover to cover. If you just want to call in and answer the question of the week, that's the place to do it. Or you can call and yell at us about our reviews or the big news or whatever you want. Teach uncovered. If you cover. just want to call and say hi, like Anthony, sure, he did this week. It premier- we called him out on the last minisode, and he's like, "I'm calling those guys." There we go. It premieres next week. We're super excited for it. So logistically, there's going to be some differences there. We're going to announce uh, probably the night before uh, what time we're going to be recording. That'll be on Twitter, so you got to follow us at Two Headed Nerd. We're going to put it everywhere. We'll put, we'll put it on Facebook. I'll put it up on the forums. You got to follow us. Yes. And we will open up the phone banks, just like the Jerry Lewis telephone. Yeah, man. There is one phone. Just like Artel. <laughs> there is one phone. Yep, so you might have to hold. Uh, but yeah, you call us while we record, and we will totally put you on the show live while we record. You will be talking to us in real time, talking about whatever. Here's the thing, dudes and lady dudes. If you are going to record an MP3 or leave us a message... No music, unless it's original music. Otherwise, we cannot play it. There are rules. We have to play by them, or we will get kicked the hell off the internet again, unfortunately. Very important. We're trying not to get kicked off the internet quite so quickly this time. Now, if you need more than two minutes to share your opinions on anything with us, you can head over to THN web forums and meet our gang of heady listeners there. If you don't have the time or the stones to call in, the forums are the perfect place to rap about everything we do on this show and more. Do it. Happiest place on the internet. There you go. And we'll see you next week on THN Cover to Cover. It's review time in the Ziggurat where Matt and I pretend to be informed readers and art critics sharing some alternative facts about two of this week's new comics. Matt, what did you pick for your main review this week? It was gross, but I had to pick Blood Blister. Number one from Aftershock, written by Phil Hester with art by Tony Harris. We love Tony Harris. 32 pages. We love Phil Hester. We love Phil Hester, too. I didn't mean to make it sound like we don't love Phil Hester. 32 pages for $3.99. Hester and Harris's new series isn't just a horror comic. Nope. In true Hester fashion, there's layers of horror here, starting with the main character himself, Brandon Hull, a soulless megacorporate lawyer. Story opens with Hull in a small, poor county trying to buy land out from under an aging cancer patient with an invalid and morbidly obese nude daughter. (laughs) Hull looks straight past the desperately poor family and focuses on screwing them out of their home and land. It's during the deal that Hester starts to drop hints that there's something supernatural stalking Hull. Something similar happens on Hull's way back to the office, but he seems to pay no attention and instead focuses on having his assistant park his car at his son's baseball game just outside the outfield to make it look like he's there. That's when the second level of horror kicks in. Body horror. Hull starts to develop large blisters on his arm, but still doesn't pay much attention to anything happening outside of work. It's not until he has a full-on supernatural experience in a religious-themed haunted house hosted by his son's Boy Scout troop that he starts to realize he might be paying for some of the sins of his job. 
There's a lot of gross stuff going on in this comic, and Tony Harris is the perfect artist for this type of gory horror tale. His framing is classic while introducing the story, but becomes more hectic as the supernatural aspects are introduced. Eric Layton's inks and Guy Major's colors also became way more intense and darker with each page until the final reveal, which was just dark red and black. Hester has been writing complex stories that Joe and I have loved for years now, and Blood Blister looks to be a multi-layered horror story that dares you to look at what happens next. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I loved it. it I thought it was, was cool. I thought it was gross. Yeah. Uh, but in a good way. Uh, it was good gross. It was really fun to read. I can't get over how different Tony Harris's art looks from yeah, year to year. Really? I mean, that. I mean, it's amazing. It's still really wonderful art. But if you compared this to Starman in 1994, you wouldn't even know it's the same guy. No. But the evolution of his work has been fascinating to watch. And he is just killing it on this comic. He really is. I don't know if it was my familiarity with his work or with Phil's work or whatever that kind of prevented me from really giving into like the, the, the scary, you know, to, but it's definitely compelling. It's super duper gross. Yeah. And, uh, it's only going to get worse from here. I'm giving it a bite as well. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Joey, why don't you tell us about, uh, a comic we've all been desperately waiting to read <laughs> starring Marvel's a-list villain. Yep. All right. Here we go. Bullseye. Number one from Marvel comics written by Ed Brisson and Marv Wolfman. With art by Guillermo Sana and Alec Morgan, it's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's the solicit. Shoot first! Daredevil, Electra, Punisher, you name them, bullseye beat them. But that was just business. This, this is pleasure. What does the world's greatest assassin do for fun? Find out what bullseye gets involved in for laughs in this deadly first issue way down in South America. He's having a chess club. Yeah, he loves yeah. playing chess. What a nerd. Uh, he's a Lego maniac, actually. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Matt and I have lamented Marvel's insistence on throwing solo books and spinoffs at every supporting character they have just because the franchise's main star is getting a little media attention. But here we are with Bullseye number one, a tie-in to the current run of Daredevil by Charles Soule and Ron Garney. I haven't been too enthusiastic about the current run of Daredevil, so I'm finding this new quote-unquote running with the devil promotional push and the solo books for DD's rogues gallery that come with it kind of puzzling. You and me both, brother. The problem with Bullseye is that he's best used in small doses. Marvel has tried to turn him into a solo star before, and the results have almost always been mediocre especially when they decided to embrace the bizarre colin feralization of bullseye from the daredevil movie terrible the reason for that is bullseye is no fun to read about on his own in this issue he's a spree killer murdering for fun or when he's bored even when he isn't contracted to do so how can a person so unhinged to be taken seriously as an effective assassin. Well, how's he not been shot in the head yet? I mean, like, right. come on. And, and how do you even create a credible threat by pitting him against someone even crazier? Of course, the backup story by Marv Wolfman illustrates the personal cost that bullseye is willing to endure to finish a job. It's definitely more successful than the lead story. Wolfman's bullseye may be a bit crazy, but he's still calculating and professional. You can understand why someone would hire him. Brisson's bullseye is more like the Joker. He may get the job done, but the body count will be unbelievable and you may end up dead. So why would you even dare working with him? There's nothing wrong with a story about a disreputable lead character. Ed Brisson is even known for writing some really good ones, but there's nothing redeemable or relatable about the lead character in this comic. And there are no supporting characters that you can connect with and sympathize with either not even the grieving FBI widow that's out for revenge. Yeah. The book fares a little bit better artistically. Uh, the lead artist, Guillermo Sana, draws with a loose, exaggerated style that I found kind of similar to an artist we like named Roland Boshi. And the backup artist, Alec Morgan, has a style that's a little bit more clean and technical, but still very expressive. 
The cover by Dave Johnson is really great. It definitely stands out on the, cover the racks. Cover is awesome. But I just can't get over the story and the seemingly unnecessary decision to spotlight someone that I have absolutely zero interest in as a lead character. Bullseye number one features the work of a lot of talented people. I'm just not interested in reading a single page more of it. I'm giving it a leave it. I'm with you. And the problem starts with the characterization. It starts and ends there. Who cares? Who cares? Right. You know, we already have like, if you want to say that, like, you enjoy Deadpool because it's funny and he kills people and stuff, that's fine. He is like Bugs Bunny with a sense of humor killing people. This bullseye doesn't even have that sense of humor. There's nothing fun about it. No, it's just pointless. They need to completely reinvent this character and do something interesting with him because guy that kills people because it's fun. Who gives a shit? I'm sorry. Right. And like, I don't mean no motivation. There's nothing. I certainly don't mean to offend anybody that thought this was a good comic. But do you think it's fun just because he's murdering people? Right. Because that's not, that makes me question things about you. (laughs) Where's the motivation? Where's the interest? Where, I mean, give me something, you know, there's just nothing to grab onto with the character and I just didn't care. Yeah. Like this is a slight spoiler, but early on in the book where he's at his agent's office or whatever, and he's just killing people randomly on the street. I was like, screw this comic. Yeah. Like what's the fucking point? Yeah. I mean, and if you're any good at your job, why are you trying to get caught? Right, exactly. It's just stupid to leave it from me, too. So that is a double buy it for Blood Blister number one and a double leave it for Bullseye number one. Now it's time for you infected marksmen to let us know how wrong we are about these comics. So head over to the forums or give us a call and let us know what you thought. Totally. We can talk about it next week on THN. Cover to cover. Yes. Now that we're done with the helpful reviews, it's time for Joe and I to spit out 10 more almost completely useless reviews of 10 more of this week's new comics during the not new and not different ludicrous speed round. Different music. Yeah, different music. (laughs) Planet of the Apes, Green Lantern, number one from Boom. Normally when you pick up one of these intercompany crossovers, you can kiss whatever ongoing story you've been enjoying goodbye. And the same is true here. But the story doesn't make a huge leap in comic logic to get the GL core to the Planet of the Apes. Robbie Thompson and Justin Jordan do a nice job here on the story with fantastic art by Barnaby Bagenda. Omega Man's Barnaby Bagenda. Absolutely. It's certainly not going to be must-read stuff in either continuity, but Planet of the Apes GL is a solid read. Giving it a buy it. The Commandy Challenge, number one from DC. This was last week. Yeah, it was last week. Take a crazy adventure concept from the mind of Jack Kirby. Add 12 of the industry's best creative teams. Pit them against each other in an insane version of comic book telephone. And then you've got the Commandy Challenge. This was an absolute blast thanks to creators Dan Abnett, Dan DiDio, Dale Eaglesham, and Keith Giffen. The story probably isn't going to get too deep just because of the nature of the project, but the art is divine. It really is. I recognize that he's an acquired taste, but I'm a Giffen fan, and anything drawn by Dale Eaglesham is completely gorgeous. Yes. This book is a ton of fun, and I can't wait to see how future creative teams handle the cliffhangers thrown their way. Accept the Commandy Challenge! Buy it! I did not care about the DiDio and uh, Giffen part. I just didn't. I thought it was good. I thought the second part was much better. (laughs) (laughs) Planetoid Praxis, number one from Image. Ken Gehring's Planetoid returns with a new series that's perfect for new readers. Oh, yeah, Planetoid. Yes, Gehring's art fleshes out the burnt-out tech of the mysterious mechanized Planetoid and its desperate inhabitants instantly. An old enemy makes a visit, but he seems to be innocent. Regardless, his peaceful mission doesn't play out so well. I forgot how much I enjoyed that first Planetoid series. I never finished it. Forgot all about it. Definitely going to revisit it because this was great. I am giving the new Planetoid Praxis a huge buy it. Loose ends. Number one from Image. This is a series 10 years in the making. After a series of stops and starts, Eisner award-winning Southern Bastards co-creator Jason Latour joins his collaborators, Chris Brunner and Rico Renzi for a country fried southern crime romance about a former soldier named Sonny trying to return to his life on the seedy back roads of North Carolina. That's North Krakalaka for those of you. This reminded me a lot of David Lapham's Stray Bullets in a really good way and the art by Brunner and Renzi is outstanding. The coloring techniques that Renzi employs to shift the story in and out of flashback are especially impressive. I really enjoyed this issue and I hope these guys find the momentum they need to finish their story Loose Ends number one gets a buy it. I'm going to check it out. 
The Fall and Rise of Captain Adam, number two from DC. I love Captain Adam. And yes, he seems to have all the same powers of Firestorm minus the split personalities. Regardless, here Cap's powers are out of control and left him unstuck in the time stream. Dropped into 1990s with no powers, Cap helps to firmly establish a new 52 timeline by showing us there was no superheroes in the 90s. None. Zero. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can, even if you consider that they've been around for 15 years, we're, way, we're all outside I guess. Well, we'll get there. Carrie Bates' story is unpredictable and well-written until we get to a scene with some generic road punks. But Will Conrad's uh, art the is... The worst type of punks. Yeah. Will Conrad's art is the real star here. This one is probably for Captain Adam fans only, but I have to see where it goes. I'm enjoying it. I'm giving Captain Adam, The Fallen Rise of Captain Adam, number two, a buy it. Titans, number seven, from DC. Titans isn't the best written title in the DC Rebirth lineup, but it definitely knows how to push my buttons. In this issue, writer Dan Abnett and artist Lee Weeks reunite Wally West and Superman, two characters from a world that no longer exists, for a heart-to-heart about where their lives have taken them. There's even a modern take on the classic Superman Flash race. I loved it. And more Lee Weeks art is always a welcome sight. And that last page made this old nerd's heart grow three sizes. Dork. Titans number seven gets a (laughs) buy it. Assassin's Creed Uprising number one from Titan. Titan's twisty, turny Assassin's Creed takes another head-spinning turn here with a team of assassins joining forces to take on Project Phoenix. I've enjoyed most of the Assassin's Creed I've read of Titan, but this issue had more of a super team feel that kind of took me out of it and just wasn't as interesting. Jesse Holder's art, though, is fantastic, and fans of Titan's Creed will probably have fun with this one. I'm giving it a skim it. Star Wars Darth Maul number one from Marvel. I don't know what it is, whether the Star Wars comic hype just kind of died down for me or what, but I haven't really felt compelled to read the Marvel Star Wars comics since the Lando series wrapped up. Well, you're wrong. They've still been great. I get it. Add in the fact that I don't give a shit about Darth Maul, and that means that I found this comic to be just kind of meh. Don't get me wrong, Colin Bunn and Luke Ross do a fine job capturing the feel of Star Wars, especially with the melodramatic dialogue style, but I'm just not into a prequel story set pre-episode one when I know that the main character goes out like a chump. Yeah. If this had been about Darth Maul somehow surviving, getting cut in half, and coming back for revenge, which I know that they did in the novels and the Dark Horse comics. But it might not count anymore. We don't know. But I mean, it definitely doesn't. Then I may have been more excited. And I don't mean I don't mean this to be just another example of us bashing on Cullen Bunn's uh, uh, mainstream not, work. Cullen Bunn not doing Oni stuff. Because uh, <laughs> it, he does a fine job. It's just that my interest level is not there. Nothing against the creators involved. Darth Maul number one gets a skim it. Baltimore, the Red Kingdom number one from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola might be stepping away from writing duties for a while, but this Baltimore series certainly has not been told. While Baltimore has been missing, his nemesis, the Red King, has taken over the world. I'm betting Mignola and Christopher Golden aren't going to give Baltimore the cable treatment here. So throw down your four bucks and let's all watch the death of Baltimore together. This is going to be awesome. I'm giving Baltimore the Red Kingdom number one. Hey, buy it. Baltimore is one of my favorite uh, Mignola properties. Awesome. And it's not even set in the Hellboy universe. No. Well, it's not. Yeah, I guess it is. It was a novel. Yeah, it it came right. as a totally separate thing. Box Office Poison Color Comics number two from IDW. Fun Joe Patrick trivia. I managed to score an autographed, sketched-in copy of Box Office Poison, the graphic novel, from Alter Ego Comics in Marion, Iowa, back in the early 2000s. Alter Ego is owned by my good friend Aaron and her husband Superfro and occasional registered jockey Shonix host the signed-in video game. Hey, you should let me borrow it so I can spill coffee all over it like you did my signed stuff. Yeah. Flipping you off. Yeah. Audio. <laughs> Writer artist Alex Robinson has brought bir- uh, Birds of Prey. Writer artist Alex Robinson has brought Box Office Poison back into print in its original serialized form, this time in full color, thanks to Pat Lewis. I always love revisiting the story of Sherman and his friends trying to build a life in the big city in the mid 1990s. The color doesn't really add anything for me, but the story and art by Robinson are wonderful, and the new commentary in the back matter justifies another reread. Box Office Poison number two is a definite buy it. There was no Captain Adam in 2000. That is your ludicrous speed round, and There was no Captain Adam in 2000 is the onomatopoeia of the week and what a mysterious voice was screaming as Cap Adam plunged through time as seen in this week's issue of The Fallen Rise of Captain Adam number two. 
If you want even more fun-sized reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out Aaron Meyer's ludicrous speed reviews. fun size is what they call like the little tiny candy bars. Yeah. I don't think they're any fun, but it just sounds better than small. And remember, you can pick up all of these and the rest of your new comics through our Amazon button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But you don't just have to buy comics. You can buy whatever you want through Amazon. Toilet paper. And help us out. If you go to TwoHeadedNerd.com, if you go to the show notes for this episode and every episode, you will find the Amazon link. All you have to do is click it and then shop as normal. It doesn't cost you anything. That's true. And it's a perfect way to get your funny books, to get your toiletries. Your groceries. Your granola bars. Yeah, whatever you need. And batteries support. for your personal massager. Whoa, gross. And support the for your show back. at the same time. That's enough, pervert. Okay. For your back. Matt, before we move on, why don't we don our comic cultist cloaks, step into the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, and weave some black magic while we make our must-read picks for next week. Deal. Next week, I'm excited for Death Be Damned. Just the name alone. Number one from Boom. It is written by Ben Acker, not Ben Blacker. This is just Acker. Yeah. With art by Hannah Christensen, 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Seven outlaws have killed Miranda Cooler and her family, but her death turned out to be a little less permanent than they expected. Yeah. Blessed with the inability to fully die until she exacts revenge on her family's killers, but cursed to lose part of her memories every time she's killed. Miranda will need the help of Joseph Murray, an undertaker dabbling in necromancy, hoping to bring back his wife if she's ever to find peace. That sounds complicated. Yeah, this sounds cool as hell. They're calling it a supernatural tale for revenge in the Old West, perfect for fans of Pretty Deadly and The Sixth Gun. This says it's Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. They must have just listed one name on the I don't know. On the Maybe previous, it is both of them. Yeah, previous. that's weird. Well... Acker and Blacker. Those dudes don't do things by themselves. No. Joe Patrick, what's your pick for next week? Next week, I am excited for Justice League of America Rebirth number one from DC Comics, written by Steve Orlando with art by Ivan Rice. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Batman, Black Canary, Killer Frost, The Ray, Vixen, The Atom, and Lobo? <laughs> Spinning directly out of the events of Justice League versus Suicide Squad. Join the sensational team of writers Steve Orlando and artists Ivan Rice and Joe Prado and discover how Batman assembled the roughest, toughest Justice League of all time. Justice League Suicide Squad was whatever. I tolerated it. It, it was, was fine. Garbage. It wasn't that bad. It, it wasn't great, but it was I it was whatever. Hated it. Uh, however, I have really loved the Justice League of America character one shots. They've been great. Uh, by Orlando and his collaborators. They have been great. And I am excited for him to get this shot at a big name team yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be great. And Ivan Rice is a kick-ass artist. I think this is going to be great fun, regardless of your level of tolerance for Lobo. We'll see what happens. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, Volume 1, Sinestro's Law, the trade paperback. From DC Comics, written by Robert Venditti, with art by Rafa Sandoval and Ethan Van Skyver. It's 192 pages for $17.99. What a steal! Yeah. Guys, this is the Green Lantern book to be reading. I don't care so much about Green Lanterns, to tell you the truth. I don't love it. It's not great, but this one has all the magic of the old Green Lantern that we loved. Here's your solicit. Hal Jordan is about to go from head of the Green Lantern Corps to an army of one! Green Lantern Corps has disappeared, and now Sinestro's own Corps of Yellow Lanterns enforces his unique brand of law and order in the universe. As a result, Jordan has no ring to sling, or Sector 2814 to call home. This collects issues one through seven and the Rebirth special. It really has been a lot of fun. I love this book. Yeah. I, I think it's great. I think they're letting Venditti finally like do what he wants to do with the title, and man, it's been so much better. It's just so strange because after he took over from John's back before the reboot, I could not care less about that book. Yeah. Uh, But since it's come back to Rebirth, it's been a breath of fresh air. It's really great. They're letting him work. New comic book day is just around the corner, so be sure your pull file is in order and let us know what you're picking up next week. Now that we've slogged through the reviews, it's time to introduce the all-new, all-different Ask a Nerd, where Joey and I sit down with a real comic creator and pelt them with gotcha questions, sure to incite a fast and furious Twitter backlash. Today, we've tricked our old friend Ashley Victoria Robinson into the ziggurat to discuss her new project. 
Ashley is the host slash star of a number of projects, too many you might say. Yes. Uh, like the Geek History Lesson podcast, the Red Shirt Diaries web series, which is about a character in the background of the original Star Trek it's series. funny stuff. And the Girl on Supergirl review show. They also have a DC recap show, an Arrow recap show. They're busy cats. Yeah, she has no time. It's just crazy. <laughs> she currently serves as head editor at Top Cow. Longtime listeners may remember her as Princess Ashley, one of our earliest regular contributors to the answer of the week. Now, Ashley is set to debut her first comic book series called Jupiter Jet alongside her husband and writing partner, Jason Inman and artist Ben Matsuya. The series, which sailed past its initial fundraising goal with just under two weeks to go, is set to launch from Action Lab later this year. Ashley, welcome to the Ziggurat. It has been forever. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My 20-year-old self that started out listening to this show while I walked to work is thrilled living the dream right now. So tell us a little bit about what you've been working on lately. Oh, man. I've been working on a whole bunch of stuff. I'm now the head editor at Top Cow Productions Inc. I think that's our official name on the pay stubs. And that means that I am making the comics all day, every day, and... Outside of Top Cow, I'm working on my own thing, which is why I was like, please let me come on the show at long last <laughs> and talk about it. So your new project is called Jupiter Jet. It's coming from Action Lab and you're oh, running a thanks. Kickstarter right now. Smashing mm -hmm. goals, heading towards stretch goals. Uh, tell us about the comic. Jupiter Jet is the story of a 16-year-old girl with red hair, and she has a jetpack powered by a mysterious power source, which was given to her by her father, who died under equally mysterious circumstances. So she does what anyone else would do, and she robs from the rich, gives to the poor, and punches bad guys with glowing eyes and ray guns. And she's got a little brother who's a genius who has a cat, because the internet loves cats. I think you're onto something there. High adventure, kind of pulpy, fun, all ages, I presume. It is all ages, as as many of the greatest comics are. So um, you've got a pulp adventure story that sounds equal parts Green Lantern and equal parts Rocketeer, starring a little red. I am uh, equal parts Annie, and, and, and giving Annie. you no uh, credit. The journey of Natty Gan. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Pippi Longstocking with Green Lantern powers. That's a whole. Your hair's not as fabulous as Pippi's, but I think that's the right direction. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, and so it's coming out as sequential issues to start. It is. It will be first available uh, in floppies like any good comic or digital comics. If that is your jam to probably through Comixology, because that's the thing to do. And then we will be collecting it as a trade paperback, which I'm really hoping I can get someone to do like a cool design on the spine in case we get to do more than one volume and they'll look really cool all placed together. Oh yeah. Show. You got to have a uniform design. I hate when they don't do that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. But if you are looking at the Kickstarter right now, dear listener, and you're thinking about donating, you're basically pre-ordering the trade with a bunch of cool, exclusive art and content that you won't get anywhere else. Okay, of anybody we've had on the show to promote their Kickstarter, you have probably done the best job <laughs> directly addressing and selling your idea. So great job. Hey, Everyone else forgets to great talk job. about it's it. Like, and so you're co-writing this with your writing partner, Jason Inman. Uh, and I saw that you guys got married. I did. We got married in September. He's the best person ever. Oh, <laughs> you crazy kids. He's so handsome. He is very. <laughs> he's got a great beard. <laughs> uh, and your artist is named Ben Matsuya. How did you hook up with him? I love that his name sounds like an anime character. It feels like super appropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah um, was a great when he fit. gets wet, he turns into a woman with superpowers, right? I would. 10 out of 10 <laughs> would read that story. <laughs> Um, so I think the way we found Ben is a really good lesson to people who want to make comics on the internet. So take note, I guess. Uh, ben drew a piece of fan art of Jason when Jason was working for Screen Junkies and it was really cool. So Jason sent him a message and said, hey, do you draw sequential samples? And he said yes and sent us some really amazing pages. So if you want to draw comics, you should have sequential samples. And I'm assuming that everybody listening knows what that is, but sequential samples are you know, narrative storytelling. It's a comic book page and you should just take a story that you love like Batman year one or whatever old man Logan 
and draw out the pages in your style and have those or write something and draw those because it's all well and good if you can draw a really cool pinup of Catwoman. Uh, covers are definitely important, but the interior art is what's really going to make or break a series. And there are artists working right now um, at big companies that are really good at talking heads and nothing else. So if that's the way you yes. want to go with your career, you can, but it's way cooler if you can draw people hitting each other because that's sort of the cornerstone of the medium. So where are you at on your Kickstarter right now? Um, that's a great question. I haven't looked at it today. Let me just keep talking to you while I pull the page up sure. really quick. I know we're over at uh, $20,000, which is great. That's fantastic. Uh, as of right now, we are at uh, $20,496. Oh, I hope someone gives me four more dollars wow. in the next wow. <laughs> minute. So even though you did beat your goal, uh, the the more money you make, the better off it's going to be, the more chance there's going to be more. Uh, because first off, you've got to pay the artist. That's what the goal was for, right? That was. Um, Jason and I are actually not taking a page rate. And even though we've shot well past our initial goal, uh, we're still not going to take a page rate. We paid for the entire first issue ourselves out of our pockets. But it turns out that comics are expensive to make. Yeah. And if you have an amazing um, artist and colorer and letterer, a colorist, I'm sorry. Um, I you think they prefer color. Colorer. I like colorer. <laughs> yeah. It sounds real adult. And like, I know what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's important to pay people a living wage, especially when they have to spend 30 days on 20 pages or 22 pages of content. Like I can write a 22 page script in a day. It's not my best work, but I can writing is just a lot faster. So we really wanted to make sure that we could pay everybody what they needed to basically make this, a part or a full-time job. Um, the initial number we asked for 14.5 was actually slightly less than we needed. So now we've hit what we actually needed to pay for the last four issues, which is great, but making more money just allows us to include bigger and better people on variant covers because initially we didn't have variant covers. Now we do. Cool. And it, yeah. I know that variant collector market is for real. Oh, it's hot. Um, if we hit 23,000 in the next 12 days or so, we will be adding a backup story to all five issues called The History of the Jetpack, which deals with oh. obviously uh, Jackie's jetpack and her father who built it because he uh, is no longer alive at the beginning of the story. And it will be drawn by uh, a DC Comics artist who worked on We Are Robin and Flash, Jorge Corona. Oh, wow. I, Amazing! I love that guy. Yeah, we reviewed Me his issue of too. the Flash, and I freaked out about it. Yeah, he was great. I love him. We are Robin. You guys should reach out to him because he's like the best. Uh, but that's basically we need that much money to cover his rate because he works for DC, so he's got a higher rate. But that's Son yeah, of like a bitch. <laughs> turns out, getting more money means you can do cooler things. So please, yes. donate if you're interested. <laughs> so get to Kickstarter. Look up Jupiter Jet. We'll have a link to it in our show notes. And uh, we tweeted it out this morning or very, very, very early this morning because I was up way too late getting ready. And you can support this project, support their future projects. Uh, you've yeah. got other things going on other than Jupiter Jet, I assume. You've got the Top Cow. You've got your podcast. Oh, yeah. Geek History Lesson still going strong. Great stuff. That's true. We're about to hit 150 episodes, which is very exciting. <laughs> Call us when you hit 900. We don't oh have. We don't have, we've got like, we don't have like 900. Four or something. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. I've never been in a ziggurat before, so this is cool as expletive. It's not as scary as it sounds. Nah. <laughs> dirtier than it sounds, though. It's gross. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Another week, another superhero show. It's time for another installment of Nerd TV. Where this week, Joe and I are talking about NBC's foray into the DCU, Powerless. Joe Patrick, before we get into it, my wife brought it to my attention that this show, they premiered a pilot episode for this at Comic-Con, and it was completely different. Yes. So Powerless was going to be about uh, a group of like insurance in, underwriters. Right, sort of like damage control In Marvel. the DC universe. And I think when we first talked about this on the show, we read the quote, is it being about these right, insurance Right, these insurance agents. people. Right. Um, it has been completely retooled. It's the same cast, but instead of being about insurance, 
It is now about a super science division of Wayne Enterprises. Right. That sort of develops bat gadgets. They develop like um, personal safety equipment for the public. Right. uh, That live in a world full of superheroes. It stars Vanessa Hudgens, uh, who is, I guess, from High School Musical or something. Yeah. And she's your generic plucky first day on the job. Happy go lucky. New boss. I'm going to do it my way. New boss. It's got a a number of familiar character actors, uh, most notably Ron Funches, uh, a comedian that I adore. Yeah. And Danny Pudi, who played Abed on Community. Yeah, the cast is wonderful. Uh, Alan Tudyk from Firefly is is the main boss, Bruce Wayne's cousin. And probably the best part of the show, uh, in my opinion. And yeah, so it's a totally different show. It is about these people living in the world. She, uh, Vanessa Hudgens' character has just moved to Charm, Charm City. Which uh, is not a real DC city. It's not, but it is the name of Duff Goldman's cake shop. <laughs> Charm City <laughs> okay. Cakes. Um, and she is just arriving to take the helm of manager of this group of scientific misfits. Right. And hilarity ensues. Hilarity attempts to ensue. Right. The whole <laughs> the whole premise is it's this big city in the DCU where there are superheroes and supervillains running around all over the place and everybody is sick of it. Like so much so that they they're really, jaded. They just don't even pay attention. It's to like it. living in the New York City of the Marvel Universe. Right. When Hudgens shows up, uh, she's on the subway and she's watching a fight between Scarlet Fox, which is a character I've never heard of. Crimson Fox, who Pardon is Crimson a, Fox. who was a character very different in this in this iteration. But okay. uh, Crimson Fox was a uh, a member of Justice League Europe. Oh, right. In the eighties, she had like the big head thing. Yes, right. she did okay. indeed. And then Jack-O-Lantern, the DC Jack-O-Lantern, who, again, is just sort of... Uh, Normally a hero, but... Yeah, here he's sort of a Green Goblin character. Right. He's more like... Well, he's more like Marvel's Jack-O-Lantern, I guess. (laughs) Right, yeah, that's (laughs) fair. Really weird. But she's watching them have a fight, and she's enthralled, and everybody in the subway barely cares, and they blow up the tracks, and the subway's gonna go off the tracks, everyone's gonna die, but they're saved by the Scarlet Fox, and no one cares but Vanessa Hudgens. So... Right off the bat, they're trying to establish that this happens a lot and it's funny and they're all jaded for it, but it just comes off really hollow and dumb. It's like you all almost died and nobody cares. This happens that much in that city. I mean, I get the joke, but yeah, I I get the joke too, but it's a little, it's kind of stupid. Sure. It it was a bad setup in my opinion. Um, But I was kind of thrilled that like in the opening moments of the show, you do see like full on legit Starro the Conqueror. Yeah, there's a nod uh, to Starro. There's a nod to the Joker. There's they uh, slip in some little Easter eggs for DC fans. And like, it's not the sort of show where it like it says it takes place in a universe where these characters exist and right. just kind of hints at it. It's like, nope, that's the Crimson Fox. That's Star of the Conqueror. Yeah, they're talking, they make Joker anti Venom. They mentioned Superman, which I thought was the funniest joke on the show. Is the guy with the Joker anti Venom sitting on the uh, the bench laughing hysterically and then he jabs it into his leg like an EpiPen yeah. and then just goes <laughs> <laughs> I will say they handled their Easter eggs a lot better than shows like Gotham for example yeah, right, right, right. a lot better than that but the show itself just is not funny uh, I thought it's it, not funny I thought it had funny beats but it was very cheesy yeah it was so like a very cheesy attempt at 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 comedy completely forced like classic sitcom formula we're like oh no they're gonna shut down the company unless we come up with a brilliant idea like ron oh nobody likes the new boss (laughs) and like but the new boss gets the team together they make a thing and they save the company all in a half an hour yeah yeah. like ron funches is a comedian that is effortlessly funny just even in normal conversation right and everything that came out of his mouth seemed completely forced. Yeah, he's not as funny when he's reading a script. It just doesn't yeah. work. You need to let him be him, you know? And like Daniel Pudi, who was amazing as Ahmed on uh, Community. I'm pardon me, Abed on Community. Right. Just bland and dumb here. And it's just it just shows what happens when you don't have a good script and you don't have a good director. There's not much to work with. I'm not saying this was terrible. I mean, it's a pilot episode. Right. And And so I'm willing to give it a few more. And like Casey was saying, she watched it the other night. Look at Parks and Rec. The pilot rec. The The pilot five episodes of Parks and Rec are almost unwatchable. They were bad. And then I think they just loosened up and they let the writer. They let the actual comedians on the show start doing some of the writing. And all of a sudden it was great. And if they can get that here. 
great. It, it I'm needs into to be. It. A, it needs to be less forced and more yes. natural. There's a lot of promise here, but this almost came off like an episode of Three's Company done in modern day, like a shtick. Yeah, it, it just yeah. it didn't work. It was unfunny at best. And I think that the biggest problem is Vanessa Hudgens because of anybody on that cast. Not that she did a bad job for what she was asked no, to do. No. But be, of anybody else on that cast, she is the one that I would least trust to just be like a natural improvisational, a real person, less forced <laughs> comedy yeah, style. And also, I think it. And I'm not gonna like. I'm not look shaming her or anything. She's beautiful, right? But when you put together this cast of misfits. And then you stick Vanessa Hudgens in as their leader. Like, oh, look, one of the most beautiful women on the planet is leading these misfits around. She's not a misfit, though. She's management. Right. I know. And I guess that's what they're trying to get across. But I think, like, they did a much better job of something like that on a show like the IT crowd. But even, where you pretty, took, even pretty people can be scientists. I, I know they can. What I'm saying is you took an attractive woman and made her the boss of these two dorks. But she also wasn't a supermodel. She was attractive in a, a like someone you might actually see and you would buy as this person. I don't know if I buy a person. Like an actress like Vanessa Hudgens in this role, <laughs> like the idea of a comedy is set in the DC universe is um, it's a fun new take. It's ballsy, yeah, and I and I think it can work, sure. But it's this was very forced. The execution was bad. Yeah, it was bad. So and unless it improves real quick, I'm writing it off. I'm giving it a skim it because I'm gonna give it a few episodes on our watch it, skim it, or skip it scale. I think we're both giving it a skim it. Yeah. Yeah, because if it improves, great, but it better do it fast. They need to loosen up. Yeah. And from what I heard, a lot of people that saw that first pilot at San Diego enjoyed it much more, said it was way better. The first one? Yeah. Hmm. When they were insurance adjusters and stuff. So I don't know if they rushed this pilot. I wonder why they changed it. I have no idea. And we may never know. All I know is this needs to improve and improve quickly or NBC is going to cancel the hell out of it. You seriously can't tell the difference between a bird and a plane? And that is it for the all-new, all-different, and free-to-use commercially THN episode number one. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome to all the new listeners, too. Embracing the renumbering culture like yeah. a couple of chumps. Hey, it's a comic book show. What do you expect? If you like podcasts that hit the ground running and ignore six years of continuity, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And we need you to re-subscribe. We lost everything yes. in the fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> So if you're listening to this from somewhere else, like the website or whatever, or like Stitcher, or- um, you may notice that it might take some time for it to appear in iTunes. That's just how it works. You yep. submit it. You, you, you post the episode. It generates the feed. Then you submit the feed. It's a timely process. Dems the breaks. So be patient. We're back. It's just going to take some time before we're back to 100%. Right. We want to send out a massive thank you to all of our PayPal donors and an even bigger thanks to all of our new patrons at our Patreon page. You guys blew us away. Wow. One week in and I am legitimately humbled by the amount of We already response. hit our first goal, which I thought was going to take a month. I, th- I didn't think we were going to hit it because we've been at the same level for a long time. I knew we would because we're so good at this and <laughs> humble. <laughs> Uh, the Patreon page is at patreon.com slash nerd. Very, very easy to find. This show survives solely on your support and your donations. And we want to say again, thank you by giving you listeners some cool swag and access to donor only content like the THN Drunk Nerds Guide to Previews, which we just posted this week. Yeah, first one. And we had good reaction to it, too. Peeps did it. We did. We're still working out the logistics of like what we can and can't do in terms of posting things, but we're going to figure it all out. The content's there. Check it out. Check out the rewards. Right. Next week is the first episode of THN Cover to Cover. It is our all-access call-in show where you can talk about anything that we did on the show or just answer the question of the week. And like we said, you can call in live. You'll find our Google voice number, 402-819-4894, at our website. We will blast out on both Twitter and Facebook when we are going live. Otherwise, leave us a message. You don't have time to do it then. Or send us an MP3 under two minutes, guys. We've got to share the air with everybody. Before we go, our shout-out goes to Bernie Wrightson. 
who has been forced into retirement because of a medical condition. We don't even know what it is yet, right? Something neurological, like ah. he's lost some of his function functionality in his I arms and his eyes. he didn't have a stroke or something. I don't know. They're not revealing anything right now. Bernie Wrightson, beloved uh, co-creator of The Swamp Thing, one of my favorite artists of all time. Nobody draws zombies and creepy stuff like Bernie Wrightson. Word to you, sir. And I hope you can enjoy your retirement. Until next time! true believers remember to go to the rss the new rss feed and re-subscribe to this show oh uh real quick though for people that don't think in terms of rss feeds uh it's just a matter of going to itunes yes. and subscribing to us as though we are an all new yes show. because this show helps you to pre-order your comics and that helps your retailer and you know what pisses retailer off more than anything not pre-ordering your comics and not picking them up there's a two-part thing you gotta pre-order them then you gotta pick them up Oh, man. Yeah. We're just full of demands this episode. I'll tell you what. For now, this is the Two-Headed Nerd welcoming you all back into our creepy psychology. Our loving embrace. And signing off. It's only weird if you make it weird.